0: I don't think I mentioned earlier, so I forgot to introduce Peter, who's going to be coming and bringing the last message in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, and this week is entitled "A Christian Commitment, so Peter will be coming and speaking in just a moment. I'm just going to read uh, some verses of Scripture to us before Peter comes. We're reading this morning from Matthew chapter 7, commencing to read at verse 13. Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves, who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. pray God will bless this reading from his word. Let me just pray for you, Peter, before you come. Father, just thank you for Peter and for all that he brings to us as he shares your word. Lord, I just pray now you will anoint him with the power of your Holy Spirit, speak through him to each one of us. Now we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good
1: morning, everyone. We come to the conclusion of this series of studies from the Sermon on the Mount. The words of Jesus are too important to be considered in any casual or distracted way. His teachings are tied up with the issues of life and death. And if we claim to being followers of Jesus, or as we've been calling it in this series of talks, apprentices, this requires our full attention and then are considered action. In this final section of Jesus most important body of teaching we are challenged as to our commitment to him and his way as we face the radical choice before us. It's been my privilege on three occasions to visit southern Africa and Zimbabwe in particular. Like any curious traveler in an unfamiliar country, I often needed help to understand what I saw. For example, I could see people sitting together in groups by the roadside, sheltering in the shade of trees from the heat of the sun, That would not in itself have been unusual in the circumstances, except for the fact that they were all dressed in white robes. And I was told that these were the Vapastori, members of an African-initiated church movement, which had started in Zimbabwe nearly 90 years ago and has spread throughout southern, central, and eastern Africa and has even come to the UK with the Friday Apostles, based in London. They always meet in the open air. The women wear headscarves which match their robes, men shave their heads, grow their facial hair, and carry a staff. It's a closed, self-sustaining body, All work and the income derived from it is done in support of the movement. And their beliefs are a mixture of Christian teachings and African tribal religion. The sight of them made me reflect upon my discipleship, the serving of my apprenticeship under the Lord Jesus Christ, and to question my own level of commitment to him. All of us who've heard the teaching of Jesus conveyed in the direct, punchy, illustrative style of his extended sermon, as well as his many parables, are confronted with the challenge of commitment. Will we go with this man? Will we follow him? Will we serve an apprenticeship under his masterly tutelage? The choice is such a radical one that if we step forward in obedience, life will never be the same again. It will be a life of continual challenge and reflection. There will always be the personal questioning around one's likeness to the Lord. Being a Christian is not a lifestyle choice. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. This last section in the Sermon on the Mount, which has just been read to us, thank you, Paul, contains words of both challenge and caution about commitment. The question arises, will I intentionally commit myself to live by the directions of Jesus? Such a commitment has three phases. There's the starting, the continuing, and the finishing. And that's the framework I will use to share my thoughts with you on these words. I will use it as the framework, not only for this final section, but also to draw together the strands of the whole sermon. Paul John began this series of talks by looking at Christian character based upon the opening remarks of Jesus in this sermon, in which he set out the attitudes that his apprentices must adopt and come to master if they are to be like him. Poverty of spirit, purity of heart, hunger and thirst after righteousness and the like are by and large not much valued in 21st century Britain. The first challenge for the apprentice comes in the setting to one side of the attitudes which shape so much of human thought and behavior and to be transformed by a renewed mind. It's enough to know what the Lord values, for those are the values. Those are the attitudes to be adopted by those aiming to be like Him. And in this concluding section, Jesus returns to the theme of starting by using a fresh illustration. As ever, his analogies are from the everyday life experiences of those listening to him. The radical choice to follow him is like someone reconsidering to what end their life is heading and changing course because they desire a different outcome. He presents a picture of two entrances. One is wide, it leads onto a broad and easy road. Yet, despite it being a very popular route, it leads to a prospect terrible beyond all imagining. The other entrance is small, it leads to a narrow and constricted path. Yet despite it being difficult, a rarely trodden route, it leads to a prospect wonderful, beyond all imagining. No difficulty is involved in locating the wide entrance. In contrast, the small entrance is not easy to find without an intentional Search. Why would anyone want to break away from the convivial company that dances its way along the smooth path in order to make his or her lonely way along a more restricted path? Only the goal that lies ahead has the power to draw anyone to look for that small entrance. Before taking up an apprenticeship with Jesus, the difficulties are not to be underestimated and be warned. It can be very lonely. If you should say to me that you've had no problem in putting your feet where Jesus has put his as he carried his cross and that out of no bitter sense of isolation, you have ever cried out as he did, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then I wonder if you're truly walking on this narrow path. At times, it's only the barely grasped hope that this way leads to life that makes one press on. It was Churchill, three days after his election as prime minister in 1940, who said to his assembled cabinet, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. The offer of Jesus is also blood, toil, tears, and sweat, but these These are accompanied by forgiveness, peace, joy, and fullness of life. If the starting is as difficult as Jesus suggests by his illustration, what about the continuing of this apprenticeship? There is so much to learn from the Master. The main section of Jesus' teaching here is like a series of Teaching modules, with each module being regularly tested, and each test will need to be retaken regularly in order to refresh knowledge and improve performance. Each is devised not as a, a measure of head knowledge, so much as a means of determining the degree of understanding which is shown by the apprentice. Once there is a right understanding, there will be a correct action. For you see, fundamentally, this is a practical course. But unlike many modular courses, there's also a major examination at the end. Over the last couple of months, some of the older apprentices here at NCBC, who are following this course themselves, have introduced some of those teaching modules. Paolo Musi talked about a Christian's influence, the requirement to be salt and light in one's community. Ian Charles spoke about a Christian's righteousness, considering those issues that the apprentice must deal with at the personal level, anger, lust, sexual immorality, truthful speech, and the taking of revenge. Then, in consideration of a Christian's religion, Alan Barnes outlined the way the Master expects giving and praying and fasting to be conducted in ways that do not result in self-promotion. David Adams invited us to adopt a Christian's prayer, the prayer taught by the Master himself, by using that pattern of prayer for ourselves. In sharing about A Christian's ambition. Paul Meisen asked us to consider how we should adopt the same value system as the Master, prioritizing those things which are of lasting worth. And just last week, David Bird explored a Christian's relationships both with fellow believers and those antagonistic to the faith. And all these lesson outlines are available to see again on NCBC's YouTube channel or the podcast. And here in this final section, Jesus introduces some more new material to help in the continuing apprenticeship training. As if there were not enough challenges for those who follow Jesus, he introduces yet more. There's a need to develop discernment. Danger lies in being too naive with respect to relationships with others who claim to follow Jesus too. When first setting out on one's apprenticeship, one can be too trusting of others, rather innocent and unsuspecting of any duplicity on their part. It's not only a life lesson that parents try to instill in their children to prepare them for adulthood. The master warns his apprentices to take care also. Watch out for false prophets, says Jesus. A prophet is one who speaks in the name of God. The prophet might have something to say from God, about present circumstances or about some future time. The false prophet may speak into the present or into the future, but the message is from a source other than God. Did I say the false prophet? That's what I meant to say. Look for a, a source material other than in God. And Jesus uses two illustrations for this. First... Look out for wolves in sheep's clothing. There are those who by all external measures appear to be fellow believers, also committed to discipleship, but they operate from a different motivation. They're not speaking as God's representatives. So which of these sheep is in sheep's clothing? (laughs) And where is the wolf in sheep's clothing? Can you see the difference? Have you spotted that individual? No, that's the very point Jesus is making. When listening to anyone who purports to be speaking on God's behalf, who speaks truth? Who is mixing God's truth with human notions? And who is speaking lies? This calls for discernment. It calls for wisdom. But these can only come by experience. So there's a need to be wary. If you do not draw upon the wisdom of others, you may end up learning through exposure to some very bitter experiences. But each apprentice has a manual of the master's teaching which can be used to validate both messenger and message. Secondly, consider the analogy of fruit. Jesus says, you shall recognize them by their fruit. Good and wholesome fruit can only come from good and healthy trees. But fruit does not appear instantly. It's the final stage in a process of maturation. Those daring, and I say that wisely, those daring to bring a message from God need to have their behavior watched and their message scrutinized over a period of time. Listen to no one thoughtlessly. Weigh what a preacher says. And try to come to a sound judgment as to their reliability. I expect you to be doing that right now. Does what I say have the ring of truth? As I speak, you must analyze my words and test them against the message of the Bible. And if necessary, challenge me by keeping close to the master's own teaching manual, I will be kept from fanciful notions, and you will not be led astray. Let me make reference again to my visits to Zimbabwe. Ursula and I were invited to minister at conferences for pastors and their wives. Each time I was asked to prepare messages around a central theme, but also to address the dangers of the prosperity gospel. Prosperity theology is a religious belief among some Protestant Christians that financial blessing and physical well-being are always the will of God for them, and that faith, positive speech, and donations to religious causes Will increase one's material wealth. And this movement, which sprung up in North America, has also taken root in parts of Africa, particularly the West and the South, but primarily in Nigeria. And some of the richest African, uh, some of the richest on the African continent are men who adopt, they like their titles, archbishop, apostle, prophet. Some of them testify to having made some great sacrifice, and God has rewarded them for their act of faith with great wealth. Some testify to having been seriously ill. They claimed God's promise of healing for their act of faith. They were restored to health. They follow Christ not by carrying a cross, but being transported by private jet or limousine. Christ had nowhere to lay his head, but they have vast estates protected by 24-hour surveillance technology. Christ was near enough to touch and be touched. These are surrounded by their bodyguards. Yet they're admired by those most poor and sick who give sacrificially, to support the ministries of these men. Those that remain in poverty and in health and ill health are accused of lack of faith, deficiency in positive speaking, and failure to give enough. Jesus takes this warning just a stage further. Not only do apprentices need to master all this teaching material and be discriminating when it comes to listening to those claiming to speak in God's name, they need to be aware that some false teachers will remain undetected. Only on the day when the final examination takes place will some be exposed for what they truly are. Throughout this body of extended teaching, Jesus has made reference to the ultimate future. He's mentioned that some rewards are reserved for heaven, and he's encouraged his followers to to invest in the future by storing up treasure in heaven. He's also warned of conduct that if left unchecked will result in the fires of hell and of the need to take radical action In order to avoid them. As he draws his remarks to an end, he refers to those who, as we've said, are imposters who remain undetected until that day of final reckoning. Jesus describes those who will approach him on that day expecting to be congratulated for their efforts and given his approval. And they approach with flattering words. Lord, Lord, they say. They put great emphasis on his title to exaggerate their esteem. Lord, Lord, they say. But he sees through it instantly and accepts no such false loyalty. They claim that they've done great things. They've spoken out in the master's name. They've had a deliverance ministry for the spiritually oppressed in his name. They have even performed many miracles, but he will have none of it. They did not represent him in these ministries. They were not sent by him. He never knew them. They're very sobering words. Again, here are those who claim to be serving the same Lord, as do all Christian believers, But they are not. Pay attention then to the warning given here. Don't be hoodwinked by powerful teaching ministries. Don't be sidetracked by demonstrations of power. Don't be taken in by those who appear to revere the Lord by putting great stress upon his name asserting to do everything in the name of Jesus. That's simply no guarantee of their being qualified to do so. Ominously, Jesus says there will be many such deceivers. He calls them doers of evil. No good comes of their so-called ministries. The test is this, says Jesus, Are they doing God's will? And so we come to this final illustration. And again, it's about that ultimate test which is applied to everyone, whether they were apprenticed to the master or not. The picture is of two builders and their construction. One builds on sand, the other on rock. When both structures are subject to the same testing conditions, only one survives the onslaught. The other is swept away. Jesus doesn't leave us to speculate about the meaning. Everyone hearing his teaching falls into one of two categories. Those who hear and take action by way of response and those who hear but do nothing About it. Now, an apprentice wants to learn from the master. The disciple wants to follow the leader's example. What is the point of hearing without turning that moment into a learning opportunity? Jesus himself was in the construction industry, he would have delivered timber beams and doors to those involved in local building projects. He would have noted that some took greater care when laying the foundations of their structures. This may be the background behind his illustration. In his day, Nazareth, where he grew up, was an agricultural community set in a valley basin surrounded by hills. There were also quarry workings in that vicinity where limestone was removed for building purposes. And archaeological digs in this area have found the remains of buildings that had been built on rock. The rock had been hollowed out to provide storage rooms beneath the houses, down to two layers deep in places. There's also evidence of a more hastily excavated tunnel system below these layers, likely to have been used by those who a few decades after Jesus' death and resurrection were in revolt against the Roman occupation. Under the topsoil of the valley basin was rock. How shallow or how deep would a builder dig when laying the foundation? To hear the teaching of Jesus and take no notice of it, is to build one's life on some human construct that will prove to be but a shallow foundation. Jesus is to be the judge, the chief examiner to whom you must answer. So are you prepared to dig deeper? Are you prepared to clear away that which will be washed away anyway, to find the immovable bedrock of Jesus' teaching on which to live your life. And so the Sermon on the Mount ends rather abruptly on the word crash. Are you heading for a crash? Or will you join together with those who go deeper into the teaching of Jesus and come through the greatest of all tests, still standing. Amen.